Brought to you by JMR Rentals, jmrny.com. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and making another triumphant return to the podcast today via Zoom all the way from L.A., he is the man behind ActuallyPaid.com and one of our chief reviewers here, Mr. William Hammond. Welcome back, Bill. Pleasure to be here, Jay. We have talked about so many movies, uh, and we have more to go. This time we're going to be talking about the films on HBO Max, some of which were simultaneously released in the theaters. I know you were anxious to get back into a theater. Um, my first question is, did you see any of these in a theater or did you watch them all at home? Um, I believe I did watch them all at home. Uh, <laughs> As did I. As did uh, I. Unfortunately, Nature of the Beast in that, in that respect. Um, and I am a purist about the theaters, uh, but I do appreciate that Warner Brothers have basically decided that every film that's, that they're going to put out this year is going to be simultaneously put on HBO Max for a month uh, so subscribers can watch them for free. And in the case of the films we watched, this allowed for some potential prestige fare. But more importantly for me, uh, it's when we get to the, to the Mortal Kombat and the Godzilla v. Kongs of the world that are just popcorn fare that are middling at best i'm glad i don't have to spend the money to, to go see them on a larger format every year you um you cover the oscars this year you did this amazing oscar blitz uh as i said in the previous shows uh, that we've done with bill if you haven't already check out actuallypaid.com look at the oscar coverage if you're wondering what oscar movies to see he went into everything he was like total in-depth deep dive on the oscars and one of these films at least one of these films was uh oscar an oscar contender if not one i'm not sure but uh first one we're going to talk about judas and the black messiah tell us about the film and uh and what you thought of it because i have not seen it this was one of the most highly rated films of the year it was nominated for best picture uh it ultimately won for Daniel Kaluuya for Best Supporting Actor and for uh, the song Fight For You, original song. Essentially, the film takes place back in the 60s. It's about the head of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton, played by Kaluuya, and the government informant that's conscripted, Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield. He's recruited by an FBI agent played by Jesse Plemons to basically infiltrate the unit, find out what they're doing, and essentially turn them over. So... The Judas is Bill O'Neill in this respect, so, someone who eventually was consumed by his own guilt over what he did. And then the Black Messiah being, being Fred Hampton, that's a title that FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover liked to apply to many leaders in the civil rights movement, um, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, basically any disruptive figure who was fighting for Black rights at the time who could have enough of a following to coalesce around them. So this film is very much about Bill O'Neill's inner conflict as he gets closer to, to Hampton and kind of disabusing the stereotypical theories about the Black Panthers over the course of the, of the last several decades as, as them being like a paramilitary or a violent group. Like, yes, violence did happen, but that was not their core. The history of the Black Panthers is utterly fascinating. 
And this this gives you a little bit of a, of a more dramatized insight into it that kind of also serves as a companion piece to Aaron Sorkin's film, The Trial of Chicago 7, which also involves Fred Hampton. Chiefly, this is very much about Bill O'Neill and Fred Hampton, and it's just outstanding. What I really loved about this film, uh, Shaka King directing it and then produced by himself, Charles D. King and Ryan Coogler, who produced Black Panther, the film is formatted like a passion play, which is just an amazing creative choice. Like you're calling this Judas and the Black Messiah. And for those that don't know, the passion play is the Stations of the Cross. It's, it's the story of Jesus's betrayal and execution. It's meant to show the good deeds of the Messiah, show his betrayal and show how he essentially rises above it in death and can incite anger. Passion plays were created to incite anger, mostly against Jews, and that's a very sordid history, but here it's actually applied properly. In the age uh, that we're living in now of increased attention to racial justice, po police violence, um, all these different issues that have come to the fore, this is a microcosm of that presented in the classical way. We, it's very much about, in essence, the last years of Fred Hampton's life, the last months of Fred Hampton's life, because he was only 21 when he died, I think. Um, and, that, and that's like the one criticism I have. Like there's no universe in which Daniel Kaluuya looks 21. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love the guy to death. I'm, I'm so glad he won an Oscar because he deserved to forget out several years ago. And, and he's getting his due here. Lakeith Stanfield is also a tremendous actor and, he, and he'll get his due eventually as well. Uh, Dominique Fishback also has a really strong supporting role. And, and again, Jesse Plemons basically started out as someone who could have passed for Matt Damon's stunt double. And now he's a tremendous leading actor in his own right, who will be getting his accolades in due course, I hope. But yeah, like this is very much formatted, like in the, in the same kind of way. It's like the idea of the, of the conflict of heart, the, the uniting of peoples. Like, like we talked in the documentary, Dope as Death, about, about the Panthers and the Young Lords coming together. Fred Hampton used the Panthers to bring together several different groups in the in Chicago including poor whites who were honestly not very friendly towards black people I mean they consider the, the the confederacy their heritage but still bringing them together in common cause of taking care of each other taking care of their community and fighting against the real enemy of, of oppressive government that's the same kind of message that a passion play would deliver about Jesus bringing uniting the tribes of Israel or giving his sermons on the mound, all these types of things. There, there are quite a few sermons that Kaluuya delivers here. Honestly, I think, I think the, the, one, the one thing I have against his winning an Oscar was that it was for supporting actor when it should have been for lead. The fact that both he and Stanfield were nominated against each other for supporting actor rather than properly saying one's the lead, one's the support was kind of a, kind of a cop-out, but that's, that's academy politics. You can't do anything about it. But yeah, the, the creative choice to frame this as a, a modern passion play not only works just from a production standpoint, like the, the way they actually frame shots and present the narrative, the, the production values behind it are just absolutely amazing. But again, to really hammer home that sentiment of how far people will go to silence uh, a dissenting voice one that actually is trying to unite people for common good. That's a very resonant theme right now. And Shaka King executes it perfectly. 
the the stuff that you're pointing out about it being framed like a passion play, how uh, how prevalent is that? Is it obvious, or is it something that you got because you're familiar with it, and other people might not get it? Or was it ever heavy-handed at times? It's not really heavy-handed. Um, I mean, I mean, it's heavy-handed in the sense that it's a, a film about racial injustice, which by necessity has to be heavy-handed because we live we live in a world where people have to be slapped across the face with this at this point. But it was much more of a subtextual thing. Um, like, like I know, I know the format. I've seen it many times, and as I'm watching, it's like, holy crap, this is a passion play. It's like it's very much not like this is the passion of the Hampton. It's like, you know, th- this is very much a a story that's presented in that format. If you know to look for it, there. It sounds like a strong recommendation for you. Easily, like like a solid A. The next film that we're going to talk about, um, to me, this one's a little bit more difficult because there's stuff that I really liked in it, and then there was stuff that I was like, oh, are we doing that again? So the film is The Little Things, starring Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek. Give me a little plot rundown of The Little Things. Basically, uh, you have Denzel Washington. He's like a like a deputy sheriff in a, in a rural California county. I think he's out in, near Bakersfield. He comes down to LA to pick up some evidence. And then he gets drawn into an old case that he couldn't solve from like years before when he, when he was in the LAPD about like women being kidnapped and murdered and everything like that. And between his looser obsession with rules and Rami Malik's steadfast approach to everything, they kind of form a duo to try to, put this mystery to bed once and for all. And they key in on a really creepy guy played by Jared Leto as the possible killer. I got to say, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this film. And I, and I really liked it the first time I saw it when it was called seven. So (laughs) now this movie was written in the early nineties. Yeah. It lived on a shelf for years and went through development hell for a long time. It's one of those things. Like it's a movie with some great stuff in it. The director is John Lee, John Lee Hancock, um, and I, I think it's well directed. It's a good looking movie. There's good production design. There's good cinematography. And when you break down the acting, uh, you know, for me, it's it's a really strong Denzel Washington performance. Denzel struck me as the grown up version of his character from Training Day. He's still breaking the rules. He's still doing whatever the hell he feels like on whatever whim he's doing it and breaking his, the actual laws in the process. But he is a little bit more wizened from years of experience. And that basically makes him obsessed about solving this one case as if that's going to like exercise some demons. So yeah, he, he does really well. Oddly enough, they pitched this film to get Jared Leto another Oscar. He was nominated for the Golden Globe and I think for the, for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Supporting Actor. And all I could think was like, really? I, I like Jared Leto a lot more than most both as a singer and as an actor. I actually, I have actually seen 30 Seconds to Mars in concert without, without the least bit of shame. But he's just playing every generic creepy guy character that's ever existed. He's very creepy. Like he goes, he takes creepy uh, to a great level. I think Malik is probably the one that suffers the most and doesn't get enough to do. His character's too too far painted into, in, into the straight-laced corner to really get to breathe at all. Whereas Jared Leto is playing like some kind of combination of John Malkovich and Kevin Spacey, uh, with, with a little with with a little with a little Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter thrown in just for good measure. To me, though, the thing that made the movie like really watchable is the Denzel Washington's performance because every scene that he's in, he's got this 
world weary, uh, and it's the first time like it's the first time I've ever thought of Denzel Washington being older. I don't know how old he is off the top. He's definitely probably. I think he's uh, in his late sixties. Um, you know, he he's definitely older than he looks most of the time. And this one, he actually kind of looks more his age, and but 60, 66. Every wow. Um, every every look, every every moment with him, you get the feeling that this guy has had a lot of weight on his shoulders and it it's just a masterful performance like and it's a shame it's not in a better movie you know i think my my review is like if you think you've seen this movie before you probably you probably have it's a sort of stop me if you've heard this one uh full of tropes kind of thing which is unfortunate and i do think if it came out if this movie came out in like 93 like it, it, it would have killed. It would have killed at the box office. And and that's the thing. It was written before all those great '90s crime movies like Seven and L.A. Confidential and all them came out. It just didn't get picked up because John Lee Hancock wa- wasn't a name back then. He didn't really have any any kind of heft in Hollywood to basically get to the front of the line. And then by the time people were starting to look at it, it was the style had already been done to death. So it got, so it got shelved for you know 20 years, which is a shame. It's interesting in that aspect. It's almost like. Uh... A curiosity in that way it, um it's a time capsule almost I, for me uh is it a recommendation for you not really but there, there are some good moments like i think my favorite scene of the whole film is when denzel is trailing Jer- like, like trying to tail him and chase him like along the highway and he basically like pulls past him when he's pulled over on the shoulder and then goes through an exit and then is on the opposite end from them. And they basically keep trading spots on the opposite end of the highway for about five minutes. And it's like, okay, that's the one minute where I'm like, okay, Jared, you got me. Like now you're a legit creeper. Now, now I can actually buy that. Maybe you are the villain behind this because you are toying with them right now. And it's delicious. The stuff in the, like the interrogation room where like he basically tricks Robin Malik into grabbing his junk. That was, that was gratuitous. But that moment where where they're just getting on and off freeway exits just to taunt each other, if we could have lived in that kind of space for the movie, I would have I would have probably enjoyed it a lot more than I did. So for me, this is I would say a loose recommendation um, just for Denzel Washington's performance. If you're if you're a Washington fan and you want to see him, he's so. Movie's got problems, but he is terrific throughout. This was not ever going to be an Oscar contender, and and, and I this is and it's why I hate the the Golden Globes because they're they're the first hurdle to clear, and they just basically take bribes to, to put anything up as a nominee, and it shows with this movie. Like this movie had no business being seriously considered for anything. If we had just released it in a normal part of the year, whether online or in theaters, and just kind of enjoyed it for the B movie that it was, probably would have been a lot better. Whereas when you try to sell it to me as, you know, Jared Leto should win another Oscar, and I look at this and he's just going cuckoo bananas for for an hour and a half, what am I supposed to latch on to? That and, and that makes me rebel against the film. All right, we're gonna move on to a movie that nobody said anything about, uh, including Christopher Nolan, Tenet. now this is a movie i saw it i've actually it's i saw it when it it came on uh hbo max and i watched it twice because it's one of those movies i feel like you have to watch at least twice i have my feelings on it that i'll get into 
But um, give us the breakdown. Give us the give us a little uh, summary of Tenet. <laughs> a little summary. This is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, sum up Tenet in, in 25 words or less. Good God. Essentially, it's a spy thriller. That That's the simplest thing I can say. It's a spy thriller where a nameless protagonist, played by John David Washington, Denzel's son, basically is fighting against a Russian oligarch named Sator, played by Kenneth Branagh, who is basically trying to, in essence, destroy the world because the world's already been destroyed thanks to climate change or something. And the protagonist teams up with Robert Pattinson as part of a unit called Tenet, a spy unit, to basically take out all these terrorists and everything. But the the core concept lies in this weird sci-fi conceit of inverted time where basically one can move forward and then go into a turnstile and move backward through time, which creates a lot of great special effects, Oscar-winning special effects, where you basically can point a gun at a a bullet-riddled slab, and rather than shoot the gun, the bullets come back into the gun, having already been fired in the future in inverted time. It is a mind of the highest order, if you are familiar with his work, I could always rephrase that as it's a Christopher Nolan movie. It's a very Christopher Nolan movie. Um, here's so uh, first of all, do you want it? Should we get into spoilers for this movie? I mean, I mean, I don't know how to talk about it kind of without <laughs> doing I that. Mean, the, unfortunately, the movie, the movie itself is a spoiler of itself because we're we're going forward and backward in time. So basically, everything that happens in the first scene is also the last scene, and everything in between is happening in this kind of flux where it's all wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff as the doctor would say. I feel like at at one point I was watching it and I just wanted Basil Exposition to roll out (laughs) from Austin Powers. Yes, we knew all along, sadly. (laughs) Like none of this all, none of this all matters. And that goes for you all too. There, There is a moment in the film where Michael Caine basically says like, you just have to go with this. Like, like everything we're about to tell you, just go with it. And I know a warning when I see it. So I was like, okay, I am not going to try to delve into the sci-fi possibilities of this. I'm just going to sit back and, and enjoy the spectacle. And it is a spectacle. There's these brilliant chase sequences where the, where some cars are going forward in time and some are going backward and flipping over each other. There's a battle scene where sides of buildings are blown out only for the perspective to change and have it rebuild itself. It's a complete head job. But God, if I wasn't strapped in the whole way. Except for for Kenneth Branagh. He was, I I love him to death, but every time he threatened the protagonist, I was like, he's like, I will destroy world. Then I will go capture moose and squirrel. It's like, it was so over the top cartoony, bad Russian accent, but otherwise I was in. Let me give you my list of, I, I will, I will give you the airing of the grievances with this movie. <laughs> oh. And then I'll, and then I'll get in the turnstile and do them backwards as things I like. <laughs> so the problem, the main problem I have with it is the protagonist who not to knock John David Washington. I don't know if there's a like a coolness gene, but he's certainly inherited that from his father. Damn straight. <laughs> the man has got some swagger and he's so cool and he's got charisma. I, I don't know what it is, but um he's he's got that. 
uh, going for him. Unfortunately, he's got nothing else. He's got no character development. I do not know what this guy wants. I don't know what he loves. I don't know if he's got a girlfriend or a family or a mom. I don't know anything about him. He doesn't even get a name. Everybody else in the film, like, and I found I had the same problem with uh, Inception, except Leonardo DiCaprio is actually a character who gets a backstory and character development. Nobody else does in that film. Uh, poor uh, uh, Elliot, Ellen Page, now Elliot Page, uh, gets nothing in that movie except uh, to be told exposition to. And Joe Gordon-Levitt doesn't exist except to give exposition to Elliot Page. Well, she she gets a cool character name, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets to do the cool hallway fight. So. Uh, yeah, he, he gets some cool action stuff. And, the, and everything you said is true. The spectacle is really cool. The special effects are really cool. Um, and Moose and Squirrel, uh, Russian dude, <laughs> if I can't have you, no one will kind of thing is, is reminiscent of Malkovich and Rounders. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> and then, uh, I, you know, I liked basically everybody in it. I didn't think anybody was doing a bad job, but, um, like Pattinson is great, but yeah. who is he? What is, what does he want? Why mm-hmm. is he here? Why yeah. is why are any of these people here except they were given a roadmap to follow by the screenplay? Yeah. And you know, when they talked to the actors, they didn't even know what the hell they were doing in this movie. <laughs> they had no idea. They were just like, Yeah, I did the movie. Um, I can't give you any spoilers because I have no idea what happened. I think for me, Chris Christopher Nolan, uh, of course, he's a great technical filmmaker. He's done some amazing stuff. And this looks amazing, but it's all like sizzle and no steak, man. It's it's all uh, flash over substance. And, you know, for the other thing that was kind of, I, to use a harsh word, I'd say offensive, is that this movie was supposed to be the movie that was going to save cinema in the midst of a pandemic. And I'm sorry, Mr. Nolan, I like a lot of your movies, but I ain't dying for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but did, so did you see it uh, on did you see it on HBO Max, or did you actually go out into a theater to see it? I, I, I was unable to go see it in a the theater. I, I, I would have had I had the opportunity, because, because I think this is a film that deserves to be seen on a large format. Like, I, I can only imagine how epic the spectacle would have been on, in like, an IMAX theater. And again, this is where I go into the turnstile and go in reverse time. <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said, but, but I enjoyed that because I think that was the point. I was like... He's only called the protagonist because he's not supposed to have a name or any motivations. He is just a cipher. He's just supposed to be there to basically be a stand-in for you, the viewer, trying to process all of this stuff going on. Robert Pattinson, who I am just falling for this guy. Like, like, like the teenage girls fell for him in Twilight. Now that he's escaping that and become a legitimate actor, I'm loving just about everything he does. His agency is nowhere to be found in this film it somehow still makes sense in the context of this massive bit of world creation that Christopher Nolan has done. There are some film fans, especially indie film fans, that will obsess over Quentin Tarantino or Wes Anderson. I think, I mean, and I already do that for for Tarantino and Kevin Smith. I think I'm going to add Nolan to the list as far as I'm concerned with that, because everything he does, even the stuff I don't necessarily care for, it is such a screw job with your brain 
that I can't help but have it linger there and try to analyze it layer by layer for days at a time once I'm finished with it. And even if it comes to an unsatisfying result, I am much more happy for that experience than I am for something that like Michael Bay would just have explode. Here's the divergent road. So, um, and I'm going to quote an unlikely source here. George Lucas okay. once said, a special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. And to me, this movie is a lot of great special effects. It does have a plot, but the story is lacking because there are no characters. I don't care about anybody because I don't know what they care about. And that made the spectacular action meaningless i think of that in the sense that if there was some person or force that unbeknownst to you saved the world from being destroyed would you even care what his name was that actually raises a good point uh like like a, a meta point that, that i that i think this film kind of embodies the visual effects category at the at the oscars uh this film won and it was also for, for the production design i have a weird definition when it comes to visual effects in that I believe a visual effect has to be an effect on a visual. It can't just be animation or, or CGI. There has to be an existing shot there for them to do something too, which is which is why like when the Lion King remake got nominated last year, I'm like it's a cartoon. There's nothing there. There's there's no live action anywhere that's been affected by anything. So how can you call that an effect? It's just animation. When it's all a cartoon, what does it matter here? There were a lot of practical and realistic looking CGI effects to blend in with real stunt casting, real stunt driving, real combat effects, real explosive, real pyrotechnics, and real actors on the set. And to do all that, especially in such a mind-blowing way where you're building and collapsing things around the characters as you change perspective as to who's in forward time and who's in reverse time, that was an achievement on a scale I hadn't really thought possible before. And that's that's where Nolan always kind of gets me with like, he, he will draw me in with the mind and then wow me with the visuals where a lot of other people would be drawn in by the visuals and then wowed by the mind. It's one of those things. Like I, I think we both have valid arguments on mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. And, and this, this is the, and this is why I love this is movies the like Christopher this. Nolan movie to have this argument about. If nothing else, I think this film will last the test of time because it's the kind of film that can spark this kind of debate where there really is no wrong answer here. There, there is a complete universe of opinions on this film and every single one of them is probably valid. I got to wrap up. It's a recommendation for you. I'd say Absolutely. It's, it's more of a curiosity for me, but we got to get going. Uh, for those who want to find you on the web, where can they find you? You can find me on my website, actuallypaid.com. Uh, and then uh, we now have a Twitter feed at actually underscore paid. You can use that tag again as well for the medium page at actually underscore paid. We just got done with, with the Oscar Blitz a little while ago, and now the theaters are opening. We've got much more content to come. It's, it's good to be back. Thanks so much for coming, man. And thank you all out there for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including more re movie reviews and film festival coverage, visit our website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Once again, I want to thank my guest, William Hammond, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.